about my time. You guys have been fabulous. Please keep this energy for my close friend, the gorgeous, the beautiful, the talented host of pre-drinks at Layla's The Podcast. Everybody, please put your hands together for Miss Layla Beasy! So, um, we have a lot of people who've been on the podcast here, don't we? Yeah. How are you all finding the fame and the, the recognition? I'm sure you can't go anywhere. No. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Louise. It was, sorry, I forgot about you. Um, it was very generous of her to agree to come on. And yeah, I think it's gonna be really fun if you're not familiar with her, she's amazing. Um, hello, come on, <laughs> Louise. Hands together for Louise. <laughs> How are things? Yeah, good, how are you? Good, thanks how so much for coming on. Any it winners? Good, we got, yeah, um, a check and a bingo, yeah. Lovely. Um, so yeah, um, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, I really do feel that I need to stress that it's really kind of you to do this. Delighted this to do it. humble little podcast, having Louise McSharry is a big deal. Oh, I'm happy um, to, thank you. So yes, um, we are, you are drinking a elderflower cider, is yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. It's very refreshing. Mm, it sounds nice. Mm. And what are you drinking? I, I'm having a vodka soda lime, predictably. Classic. Um, yes. And yeah, let's just launch straight into it if, if you're comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so the topic du jour is, hit it Nile. Vulnerability. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I've got you in a room full of people enjoying themselves, and we're going to talk about being vulnerable. So. <laughs> well, I mean, could it be anything else, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the kind of gal I am. Um, yeah, I think it is something that you're very good at, being Thank vulnerable, um, publicly. Um, and, yeah, it's something that, like, is important to do. So my first question for you would be, why? Why do you choose to be so vulnerable about things? Or is it a choice? Well, I guess I would kind of question how vulnerable I actually am. Um, like, I think we all have different levels of comfort when it comes to sharing mm -hmm. and talking about ourselves or talking about challenges that we face. Um, you know, and some of the things that I talk about, I think would be would be very difficult for other people. But the reason that I'm able to talk about them is because I found a level of comfort, or whatever. There's lots of stuff that I don't talk about. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where I probably which which would make me feel more vulnerable. You know. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it would be stupid to pretend like you know there's no vulner vulnerability when you are honest about. You know, things like, for example, body image is, a, is something that I've written about and spoken about loads over the years. And like once upon a time, that would have been something that the idea of even acknowledging that I had, you know, any issue with my body, I would never have been able to do it because I would have had to acknowledge that I actually had a body and I was working really hard to pretend like that didn't exist. Okay. So, you know, it, it has definitely at times been a difficult thing and certainly more vulnerable at times than others. I think, you know, it depends on where you are in definitely. your journey with yourself. Yeah. And on a good day, you don't feel vulnerable talking about things, but on a bad day, you do. Mm -hmm. And when you put yourself forward and kind of open yourself up on a topic or whatever, you kind of don't get a choice which days you get to talk about it. Yeah. So I guess I, yeah, I guess, why do I do it? I think, um, I think, I believe, and this is, I guess, at the root of almost everything that I do work-wise, that like the most powerful thing we have as human beings is shared experience. And totally agree, yeah. Most of the time when we feel like we're completely alone, we're not. Like, I mean, we all think we're very special little flowers, but the reality is there's probably someone else who's had the exact experience you've had or very close or has felt the way that you do or, you know, has the same fears that you do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just hearing someone else say that can be so helpful and, you know, really comforting and make you feel less alone. Definitely. Um, and I have certainly benefited from that from other people. So I think that kind of encouraged me to be more open and honest because I, I have personally felt the benefit of that. Definitely. And I think it's, you know, look, I think it's worthwhile. And as I say, not everybody is in a position to do that for whatever reason. Yeah. So I kind of think if you can find it in yourself, it's, it's really worthwhile. Definitely. 
yeah, I feel like I'm always drawn to like media that where you feel like somebody is being honest interviews where people are really opening up about themselves and stuff like that. Yeah. I also think we're in like such a well I hope we're in like a kinder space of media where we we're not trying to like catch people out anymore or like expose them. We're trying to like let Unless people tell Unless you work in RCE, obviously. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take long. Marty Morrissey. <laughs> Marty Morrissey. Um, but yeah, this whole thing of like letting people be vulnerable about, I don't know, like their sexuality, their like um, mental health experiences and stuff like that, rather than like tabloids chasing them I think it's such a healthier way for people to be yeah and like dramatically different the way things were when I was your age yeah like I'm 40 now uh, and when I was in my late teens and and early 20s like you know media was so toxic like I mean you look at people like what Britney Spears went through and lots of other people I was watching like America's Next Top Model where people were just being ripped to shreds on every episode and manipulated it and Mm -hmm. you know mental health challenges people like Amanda Bynes for example like we're just not respected or cared for Um, so it is I think a better time now certainly than it was when I was coming up as they say yeah definitely it felt like well I know the world it probably felt like it was a really scary time to be a woman but was it like a really scary time to be a woman in media did you start off wanting to well I was like I was oh god how old was I when I no I guess I was still pretty young I started working in radio when I was 19 okay no that's a lie 20 um and I didn't really do anything properly on air until I was like 24 or 25 okay in my in my head I was like I was pretty old but I wasn't actually that's very young um but I, it was on a relatively small scale. Like I was on iRadio, which is a radio station in the northwest of Ireland. Um, and like I wasn't in the papers or anything. You know, I wasn't doing magazine shoots or anything like that. Um, and I, I think at the time, I kind of hadn't really learned yet about the challenges of being a woman in mm-hmm. the world. In a way, like I was kind of ignorant. Yeah. Um, I was still very much like working really hard to impress men and you know, male approval was super, super important to me. And I think all of the failings (laughs) that I kind of could see were mine as opposed to any of like the society around me or, you know, the systemic structures in place or anything like that. Okay. So I don't remember being super conscious of it at the time, but then I remember, and like, I think we all have these moments where your eyes are opened and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. No, actually you know, this isn't equal or I haven't been treated the same way as my male colleagues. Like I used to get so much shit for being a troublemaker in work. And like, all I did was literally ask questions, but you know, it wasn't okay for me to ask questions because I was young and I was a woman and whatever else reason. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it was a difficult time to be a woman, difficult time to be a woman in media. I think it's still a difficult time to be a woman in media. Do you? Yeah, I do. I do. Like, I think we've, We've come a long way, but I think there's still a, a lot longer to go. Like, I mean, for example, like, I know I talk about body stuff a lot, but like, if I look at my career, and I often ask the question, like, would I have had a different career if I had a different body type? Mm-hmm. And I really believe that I would have. Yeah. And if I was a man, <laughs> and I was in this kind of body, would I have had a different career if I'd had a different body type? I don't think so. Really? Like, there is still an expectation, I think, on women to look a certain way, to perform a certain way, to be a certain type of person. Like, you can, can be a bit of a mess when you're a man in Irish media, I think, and you get away with it, and you're gas or you're, like, edgy, whereas women have to have it all together. So, you know, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What do you think? I mean, I wouldn't really have that much experience with like the media world or whatever. Like, mm. my, my experience was always that like whenever I interacted with the media, they were just trying to box me yeah. into a certain category, which was, you know, hello, like a little pet transgender that told yeah. her story. And then they would send me off back into the world. And I used to be like, well, like, you know, I studied journalism. I wanted a career um, yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah, I didn't feel like there was a, there was a way in, but I didn't know. I wasn't sure that it was like the same that women were being treated differently than men still. I think so. Yeah. I mean, look, I I, I, <laughs> I think it's better than it was as I say when I first started out, but I think there's still a lot of expectations on women that aren't necessarily on men. Yeah. But I think that's interesting what you said there because I think a lot of people will have had that experience from various different backgrounds mm-hmm. um, you know, of of coming away from a conversation or an interview or whatever and feeling like, "Oh, but like 
I'm not just a gay person or I'm not just a fat person for me. I'm not just a trans person. Like, yeah. I'm a three-dimensional human being and there's more to me than that. 100%. Um, so I can, I can really relate to that. Yeah. Speaking of vulnerability, they, um, like, uh, what I always really admire is that, like, was it really difficult being vulnerable about your cancer while you were going through cancer? Actually, no. Really? Um, no. Uh, I'm like really generally an open book okay. and I don't find it hard to talk about difficult things. Um, and with the cancer, I was so irritated that I had it um, mm -hmm. and really annoyed that I was having to take time off work. Like I was 32, it was really like career time for me. I had just started a new radio show. I didn't want to hand it over to someone else. I like I, I just felt like I didn't want this wasted time. Yeah. So for me, like talking about it meant I was doing something useful. Um, and that's actually when I wrote my book and that's uh, I did a documentary and stuff. And that was all yeah. for me about like making the time useful. Okay. Um, and also I felt very lucky because I had a cancer. I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which you can say if you've had it, that it is one of the better cancers, you, you know, you more, most people recover completely from it. Okay. I was very lucky. My journey with cancer was quite straightforward. So I didn't at any stage feel worried about my like, you know, survival. Well, totally. uh, maybe like for like five minutes at the start. Okay. But I think it would be different, you know, if, if you were, if you were really kind of battling those kind of questions of existence, you know? Yeah. Like I think the most vulnerable I felt the whole time I was sick was when I lost my hair. Mm. And I was surprised by that. Like I didn't expect to to feel scared to leave the house. Um, but I did a bit like the morning because what, what they recommend that you do when you start losing your hair is that you actually shave it off because otherwise it's it's just actually very messy. Like a friend of mine who'd had cancer was like, it, you just it's in your eyes. It's on your pillow. Oh God, it's like okay. everywhere you go. You just get rid. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I started losing it, I went and got it shaved off. And I remember waking up the next day and like being in my house and needing to go to Tesco and being like, I don't think I can do it. I was so scared. And I, I, I've been like, I'd had every hair color, every hairstyle. Like I didn't, you know, I really didn't think I would be, but that was quite confronting. I think it was like the whole, like facing up to the fact that no, you are a sick person. You yeah. know what I mean? This is a real thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, but I just really amped up my makeup and accessories and then in the end it was fine. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That's, that's a good solution. Yeah. Um, I find it really does solve most things. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading that in your book that you, you whenever you felt like you were like not doing well, that that was the thing that kind of pulled you out or whatever. I don't remember anything I wrote in that book, oh, by the really? way. So that sounds I, good. I, should, <laughs> I have some quotes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that would be okay. <laughs> Do you, like being so vulnerable, I, I presume you get a lot of feedback from people. Like yeah. Either identifying with you or... Is there bad feedback? Look, it's mostly good. I'm very lucky. Most people who I talk with and like who I hear from are nice people who mm -hmm. have positive things to say. There's a bit of negativity, obviously. I really work very hard not to see that because of course, yeah. I just, I mean, it does me no good, I don't think. No. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'll take criticism, no problem. Like, yeah. if you, you know, if you, if I'm ready to learn at all times, I don't know everything about anything. So, like, there's always room for growth. Mm -hmm. But some people are just dick. And I just don't think seeing them being dicks is going to do any me any good. So I, for example, like I don't ever Google myself. I don't go on the websites where people talk shit. I don't seek out negativity. And like I work really hard at that. Um, mm -hmm. A friend of mine is working on a like an, a podcast series about trolling at the moment and about okay. like some of the viciousness that's online. And through what she's working on, she was like, oh, yeah, there's this one troll that I'm I'm looking for. She's obsessed with you and me. And even that, I was like, don't tell me that. Like, I like to pretend like those people don't exist, you 100%, know? 100%, yeah. Um, but no, most of the people who I hear from are good. And I, I, I actually would say that one of the most challenging thing about kind of putting yourself forward on any kind of topic that people are dealing with, and for me it is mostly around body stuff, is that people do bring you kind of troubling things they're like have you seen this or like I'm really annoyed about this so I thought I needed to share it with you and this terrible thing happened to me and oh God. you know and I get it because they need someone to hear them and see them and be like that's yeah. terrible and a lot of the time people aren't comfortable actually having those conversations with like 
sometimes like recently I had someone say I have never had a conversation with my partner like about this stuff oh my god no with body stuff it, it can be super vulnerable so of people course. tend to bring it to you but then the thing is you are also the person who's being insulted or whatever by by that by their shame yeah, yeah. and like I see enough fat phobia in my daily life like I really don't need people to be bringing extra stuff to my door yeah but I totally understand where it comes from and um, I think that's the most challenging aspect of it actually it's totally. just like you know I'm sure for you you might experience it I don't know with transphobia but like you know when you're already getting your your fair share of it and you're already struggling with it yourself when people feel the need to draw your attention to every terrible thing that's happening you can just be like okay I'm actually at capacity that's why I left Twitter yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that was a good decision yeah yeah I hope I can get to the point where I don't google myself don't babe oh I do it all the time why um I don't know <laughs> Like, I feel, it feels, like, masochistic, I think. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. Like, it's not healthy. Well, I think, in a way, I have the benefit. Like, there was no social media. Mm, when I first started on the radio, there was Facebook. I remember, actually, I joined Twitter sitting in the radio station. Okay. But it was, like, brand new. I don't think it really became big until after I left that radio station. And then, you know, obviously, Instagram happened. So by the time people were being, like, mean... I was kind of older, I think, and yeah. that helped a lot. Like, mm -hmm. I think if I had been in my early 20s in the public eye and there was social media, I probably would have been Googling myself as well. Yeah, I think, no, to be fair, I think I just Google myself to see what what next is out there. If, I, if it feels like it's going to be grim, then I don't click into it. Yeah. My little cousin a while ago was like, um, I wrote an article about my surgery and he was like, did you read the comments under the link on Twitter? And I was like, no. And he was like, yeah, don't. <laughs> But that is not okay. A, sometimes I think that's even worse, though, because then you your want to. what your mind makes up is could be worse than what's even there. It wasn't. You know? I read it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah. <laughs> but then, how do you feel when you read? Like, how does that make you feel? Do you feel angry? Do you feel sad? Like, do you internalize it? Do you talk to someone else about it? I definitely talk to people about it. I'm I'm not a person who internalizes anything well, anymore. Good. Really, I never yeah. shut up. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, it does make. It does make me sad about how like misunderstood it is, but it doesn't feel like as personal anymore. I think I've gotten to a point of like through like educating myself about trolling and stuff and that kind of thing, realizing that it's really not about you. Yeah. Very often it isn't. Yeah. Like stuff like books by Lindy West and stuff helped really helped yeah. with that. Um so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make me angry, really, because I'm not taking it personally. I'm more just like, oh, is the world still like this? Yeah. Like, but also, sometimes, the thing about it is, is that you can be really strong and, like, logically know that, like, this actually isn't about me. And, you know, they're probably going through something or they're miserable or whatever. But on a bad day, when you're vulnerable, sometimes it does get through. Definitely. You know? yeah. And I think that's when it becomes really challenging. And I think all of us have those moments, you know, anybody who who is in a position where you have to consider Googling yourself, which let's be honest is ridiculous, um, <laughs> but I am there. And you know, we all have those moments where it does cut you and you do feel it. And like, it is a serious thing. And no matter yeah. how strong you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't always touch my hair when I'm talking. <laughs> If that's if that's the bad stuff you're doing, okay, then. like honestly, no. no, but that's the most annoying. Yeah, I'm like, I'm nervous. <laughs> it's my emotional support hair. Honestly, <laughs> why do you think I grew it? Um, have you ever overdone it? Have you ever like said something and been like, oh god, I really wish I hadn't oh, been that like vulnerable about something? A million times. Really? Yeah. I mean, I can't think of specific that many specific examples, but like definitely loads of times. Um, you know, I used to be a lot more open than I am now. Like okay. I'm more protective of myself now just because I just can't be arsed bringing anything on myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the bigger following you get, the more, obviously proportionately, the more negativity you get. And I really learned it through parenting, actually. Like my kids, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And when I first had Sam, my older son, I think I had like... 5,000 Instagram followers or something. Okay. Which is like obviously still a lot of people, but mm -hmm. you know, they were people who followed me because they liked me, you know? And I was really feeling 
very alone in the early days of my of motherhood like I was miserable I definitely had postnatal depression I was hating my life I didn't adjust to it well wasn't happy um and kind of posting on Instagram gave me like a bit of an outlet and made me feel less alone and you know I was chatting to other moms about various challenges we were facing but then as my following grew that changed and I think as a lot of people experience as a par public parent, and let's be honest, it's mostly mothers who get this shit, you know, mm. people began to criticize everything. Like, you obviously don't even like your children. Like, why did you even have them? You're a terrible mother. Like, you know, your children are so unfortunate to have you. Like, genuinely, genuinely this stuff. Um, you're endangering your children. You're this, you're, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it got to the point where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm not putting these kids on my Instagram anymore. And yeah. I'm actually just not going to talk about parenting that much anymore because it's just not worth it. But that, but even that is an agonizing thing for, was an agonizing thing for me to decide because I did feel really passionately that, you know, there needed to be more openness about the challenges of parenting 100%. and about how hard it can be to go from being one person to another literally overnight and yeah. like have your entire life change and, you know, your set of priorities for some people naturally change, for some people they have to work at it. Like, you know, all that stuff I think needs to be spoken about. But the I'm women sure who do it... I'm sure you've got a lot of people like identifying with that as well. Totally. But like, you know most people are living in a in a world where they're served this myth that like you have a baby and you wake up the next day and you're totally in love and you suddenly know exactly what you're doing and it's fine and everybody's happy and you know god aren't you you know enjoying the cuddles and loving every moment and like you know that's not reality like yeah, it's not 100%. but i think a lot of people feel like that's all they're allowed to say because because there's not, I mean, it's there's more now, I think, more discussion about the challenges, but like, if we don't discuss the challenges, then when you feel the challenges, you're gonna go, the problem is me, because everybody else is loving this. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the, the people who do talk about that stuff are incredibly brave, because let me tell you, there's a lot of people out there who are just ready to tell you how shit you are. Yeah, do you think you got that more because you struggled with fertility as well? Well, see, I didn't really struggle with fertility in okay. the end. Like, uh, after I had my cancer, after the chemo, I had fertility testing and the doctor was like, yeah, you're not going to get pregnant. So go away and try, come back to me in a year and we'll look at your other options. And I actually got pregnant really easily. Okay. And with both my children, I was ha -ha, very doctor. lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, fertility science is not exact. Um, I've seen so many people be told that they should be fine and not been fine. And yeah. I shouldn't have been fine. And I was. Um, but I think, no, I think actually just the opposite. I think, I think the problem is there are fertility struggles, which are obviously totally legitimate, and people who struggle with fertility deserve massive compassion. Of course. It's such a difficult thing to go through. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who find parenting challenging. And the problem is that sometimes it seems like you can't talk about the challenges of, of parenting without kind of insulting the people who are struggling with fertility. Yeah. That, like, you're ungrateful... And, and you should never say that it's not great because you might hurt these people's feelings. And I personally feel like people are more sophisticated than that. And most people who are experiencing fertility struggles can understand that you can feel lucky and grateful for your children and also just want to go away for a few hours and totally. you know have a moment where you feel like it's all too much. Yeah. Um, and I think finding a space where we can all kind of work together to be more honest about every aspect of everything would be better. You know? Yeah. I'm in a position that's like a little bit similar at the moment in terms of like I've obviously had a surgery that like a lot of people work very hard to get mm. and like it hasn't been easy the aftermath and stuff and that was something that I talked about in my show but I really debated whether I should or not because you know there's this whole right-wing voice that says that people shouldn't be getting these surgeries basically and then there's a whole contingent of people who are really really trying and doctors who are saying oh I'm not sure you're yeah. you're ready for it and stuff like that yeah but then I can't find, it's so hard for me to find, like I'm struggling with like the aftermath. I'm struggling to orgasm, okay? Um, and the like, I'm That's trying a real to find, yeah, but I'm trying to find like information on that, how other people, and like people aren't really talking about it. And I think it's a lot more common than it really is. But I think because you've worked so hard to get the surgery for so long and stuff, you're maybe yeah. not supposed to feel ungrateful or, yeah. and it's not that I'm ungrateful. It's no, just, you I just would, wanting to I, work. I have challenges yeah. yeah and I would like 
to hear people talk about that. Yeah, I think it's great that you spoke about it because th- this is the thing: is that you can you can be compassionate for someone who's in a different position from you, mm-hmm. while also acknowledging that there are challenges within the desired position, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and like th- the more information we have, as I say, like I just think the better we'll all be. Definitely. As long as you obviously are, you know, you speak with sensitivity. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, I think I could have psychologically prepared myself a bit more. Um, although, how do you prepare for your genitals being turned inside out? <laughs> um, I do not know. That is, <laughs> I... What? <laughs> <laughs> um, that is not something I can advise on. <laughs> Hello, pardon the interruption. It's Layla here, and I just wanted to chat for a minute. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm really enjoying doing it. If you are enjoying listening, maybe you'd consider pledging a bit of financial support. I've now set up a Patreon for the podcast at patreon.com forward slash pre-drinks at Laylas. There you can pledge a monthly donation of a euro, two euro, three euros or four euros. Getting financial support means that I can pay my contributors and continue to produce this podcast. I don't intend to hide any content behind a paywall. If you become a patron, you will have first access to any live shows that I do and exclusive access to certain discounts. If you can't afford to pledge any support, please don't worry about it. I hope you'll still continue to listen and to spread the word. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash pre-drinks Thanks so much, girls. Do you think having gone through so much like makes you a better interviewer? Um, hmm, do I think that? Um, it certainly doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Uh, like I think, I think there's, there's lots of ways that you can look at this. Like, Anybody who's been through like a lot of trauma or like a lot of fam- familial trauma, I think in particular, um, if you watch TikTok, you know this. You can end up in a kind of a state of hypervigilance where you're super sensitive to other people's feelings. And I didn't have a great uh, family upbringing. Um, I, there was a lot of addiction in my life as a kid. I what became the person who was super sensitive to how everybody felt and is everybody okay and checking in with things all the time and what do I need to do to keep things on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that meant that I developed a really pronounced sense of empathy, Yeah. Um, which is a great good thing and a bad thing. Um, like it's great obviously to be empathetic, it makes you a good friend and a good whatever else. Um, but it can also you know, if you take on too much, obviously it can be really challenging. But I think that really lends itself to interviewing well because I can kind of, I get it. I feel like most of the time I understand where people are coming from. Like I yeah. can I can kind of put myself in their position to a certain extent and, and therefore, you know, I think that means that you're able to, you know, the questions kind of come naturally as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I think I'm not judgmental. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important, so important. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think I've fucked up so much. I've been through so much. I've seen so many different people go through terrible times, do terrible things and come out the other side that, like, there just isn't judgment, you know, f- from me on most things. Like, yeah. obviously, I will judge you if you're, like, racist, homophobic, transphobic, sexist, any of those things. Yeah. But, like, you know, if you've fucked up a million times and you're still fucking up, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that because yeah. your moment will come. Definitely. One thing I think, like, I really appreciate as um, a young person. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, You're young to me, babe. <laughs> um, the, like, I love how, you know, I've been listening to you for, like, a long time, and you always talk about how miserable things are for... <laughs> <laughs> no, but not, like, but, but, you know, the whole, like, the cost of living, I know, I talked about it. <laughs> they all think it's so funny that all I do is talk about the cost of living. It's very current. <laughs> um, but the, uh, no, the, like, you've always, like, identified the struggles and stuff like that, and, like, not many people in Irish media are doing that, are talking about, like, maybe it's a bit more popular now, but you were doing it a bit before, like, talking about how hard it is to get a house, how hard it is to rent, how miserable it is for young people, stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, I think we need to hear that. Everyone needs to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. I think what happens to a lot of people is, as they get older, for whatever reason, they kind of disconnect from younger generations Mm -hmm. or, you know... I I, I really don't know why it happens. Um, Yeah. Like... I think I'm a bit weird in that, like, I continue to make friends of all age groups right throughout my life. My husband is always slagging me off for this. <laughs> he doesn't understand why I, 
like why I keep making new friends but like I'm genuinely curious and interested in in how other people live and and how things are for other people so I think that helps to a certain extent because I'm just a little bit more plugged in maybe than some people who might have moved on and kind of don't feel so connected to younger people anymore but like also I just have a really like probably over pronounced sense of justice and I get really annoyed when things just aren't fair and like the situation with housing in this country is not fair like the money that is being spent in various places inappropriately is not fair Mm -hmm. it's not fair that people can't afford to feed their children like it's not fair that we're just accepting a rising rate of child homelessness so I just find it impossible to like shut up basically yeah the whole thing like I think I've said it before on this podcast but like money is just not real like do you know any society (laughs) that lets people not have a roof over their head or not have food has just failed it just has like that's literally all we need to do is look after each other yeah and like for me I think it's the the kids that really get me and Mm -hmm. actually I do think that links back to my own childhood trauma like um I lived in caravans I lived in shithole apartments I slept in schools like housing was not always super secure for me yeah there are people who have it way worse but I know what it feels like to be a kid and to to not know where you're gonna sleep or to be looking around and going this isn't the way it's meant to be like this isn't right why is it like this like yeah. this, why is no one taking care of me like mm-hmm. those questions stay with you forever so like every kid who we are just casually and I'm sorry it does feel casual allowing to like live in a hotel for several years or you know even in worse circumstances like those children are forever changed by that of course and it just infuriates me that like that we're allowing it to continue and by we I don't necessarily mean us like I think most of us are you know I presume in this room are engaged and like you know trying to do what you can um (laughs) But, uh, you know, I just, I don't understand how there are politicians talking about anything else. Like, I just don't. Yeah, 100%. What could be more important than, than people's lives? Like, every child is born with the same potential, and then some kids are considered more important than other kids for whatever reason, and it just, uh, yeah, I find it really it's galling. miserable. Anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I do talk about fun stuff too, guys. <laughs> she does. She does. I love the celebs. <laughs> um, so because you are comfortable being vulnerable, do you feel like you have higher standards with the people you interview? Like, do you ever interview someone and you're like, I wish you'd been more vulnerable with me? Um, I think I kind of try and meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you talk to someone and you're like, oh, my God. Like, there was one. I'm not going to say who it was. You probably oh, wouldn't go know on. her anyway. No, <laughs> but I did an interview with an Irish actor a few years ago. And she just, I mean, it was just so Sarah boring. No, no, it wasn't. Like, honestly, I think most of you wouldn't know, wouldn't know who she was. So, But, like, I just came away. I didn't use it. Like, we didn't air it. Because okay. she just gave nothing. Like, mm-hmm. it was pointless, you know. And I wasn't looking for her you know trauma or anything but it was just everything she said was super rehearsed and like you know sometimes when you interview actors particularly I think early in their careers they just want to talk about like I don't know being grateful boring bullshit like that (laughs) no but like they're very like you know in the process and blah 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 and you're like okay but you know you're like you're on 2FM do you know what I mean you're gotta give me something else Mm -hmm. um so that I find frustrating another man I interviewed who was wildly boring was Jason Derulo really the most boring interview I literally yeah, ever did my whole life at all, yeah actually. so boring I hope he's not listening so boring <laughs> but like honestly other than that I can't I can't remember many that I didn't you know yeah who didn't give you something you 100%, know what I mean yeah. and not everybody's going to be an open book and that's fine yeah but it's about kind of sensing where the boundary is like mm-hmm. I'm not the kind of person who's ever going to want to force someone into a situation where they don't feel comfortable like if if I had a guest who came away and said like I regret it I wish I hadn't said this I really feel bad about it I would be devastated like that wouldn't you know that's not me that's not what I do I know there are people out there who do that it's that's not for me yeah sometimes I worry that I would have higher standards with people because I've never hidden anything and that I am pushing them a bit too much um 
Well, like, you know, you only learn through experience. That's it. Through you know the what process, I mean? Yeah. Like, I think you wouldn't want anyone to walk away feeling bad. Not at all. No. no. So and like, I feel like you'll know. Like, you, you'll yeah. feel it. I, I, it would definitely be a case of, like, and I always say this when someone leaves, I think, um, that, you know, if they think of, if they regret saying something that will edit it out no problem you know yeah exactly and like also people have the power to say i don't really want to talk about that or 100%. i'm not comfortable with that and or... i expect that from people and not and that, that's where i think i get in i could potentially get in trouble is because maybe people aren't comfortable enough to say that sometimes yeah whereas like if it were me i'd be like oh i'm not talking about that yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah is there ever a fear that like people you in your life are listening yeah i try not to think about it okay um i really try not to think about it <laughs> because it spooks me yeah um not like friends you know friends are fine but like my mother-in-law sometimes i remember that she's there and <laughs> that does not feel great like yeah. i'm always just like oh god what have i said what have i done um, I'm lucky, like, my dad listens, but my dad's cool. My my mom actually has Alzheimer's disease, so she's not super connected to... That was inappropriate. <laughs> but she's not super connected to... <laughs> I actually find that very amusing. Um, she's not super connected to, like, you know, what she's hearing anymore, and yeah. she would never have been judgmental either, so I'm lucky in that regard. But then, yeah, people who you might worry might pick something up the wrong way. Like, for example, my mother-in-law, I would worry about that sometimes I just try not to think about it to be honest what about yeah. you um well my mom's sitting over there yeah I, I was gonna she, say uh, seems like you're doing pretty well Woo. uh no I mean no they're like they're I think my family are pretty good about like knowing that you know if I have to say something I have to say it it's yeah. not you know yeah. and um oh She's a hard line there now, and she's dead right. That was that was on your episode, Sophie. I gave out about my mom's cooking, and she said she did encourage me. And mom said again. And I said Sophie gave out about her mom's cooking too. It just didn't make it into the edit. So yeah, um, the I did have an experience recently where it was. Annie is over there, I think. Oh, yeah, hello. Um, uh, in my episode with Annie, I talked about my struggle to orgasm. Yeah. And um, my dad said, oh, will we listen to your podcast when we were on a journey? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, no, we will. And I was like, no. And then he was like, no, no, I'll put it on. <laughs> and I, I just had to sit there and talk about, listen. Was it just you two? Yes. Oh. <laughs> in the van. Did just, you not? What Did could you... I do? He existed. I tried and, to warn him. And was he okay? Yeah, he's not here. Um, oh, he's not here. He's, uh, yeah, well, I think he just pretended it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to live. I think he's learned now that if I say no in the future, maybe maybe listen to that, you know. But maybe um, it was good for him to know that that's something that you're experiencing, you know? Sometimes a bit of uncomfortable information is good. No, yeah. Maybe not. I did make a joke about his dick in my show, um, and I... What was the joke? Well, I can't say it. My show's coming back. Can't okay. spoil it. You have to book tickets. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't say it when he was in the room. I, I skipped it on that night. Yeah. yeah. That's understandable, <laughs> I think. I just try not to ever think about my dad's dick, so... Oh, I wasn't... <laughs> yeah, okay. You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> You're so brave. Oh, thank you. Um, do you experience shame often? Hmm. Sorry, that was quite the... Um, I don't think that I do. Yeah. I don't think that I do. Um, what would I have to be ashamed of? Exactly. Well, I just kind of think we're all just doing our best, aren't we, really? And, like, I fuck up all the time. And I say stupid things and I do stupid things. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. I experience guilt a lot. Do you? A lot of guilt, yeah, a lot of guilt. Um, I think... You know, people talk about mom guilt. I really have a lot of that. I wish I didn't. I'd love not to, but I'm busy. I have a busy career. I also, my social life is very important to me. I would not be a nice person if I didn't have a social life and I wouldn't be a nice mom. Um, but my kids just really don't want me to ever go anywhere, so they give me a lot of shit. So okay. then I end up feeling really guilty. Um, 
But no, shame, not really. Do you feel a lot of shame? No, not these days. Yeah, but good. it was definitely a huge part of my history. Yeah, yeah. mine too. Yeah. yeah. But it's, did, was it therapy that helped you overcome that? Or was it oh. getting older? Or? Um, I mean... N- no, I think it was just like... Not to uh, reference your age. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I look great, so it's fine. You do, um, you do. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, no, I, I didn't... I've only recently, I, like in the last year, kind of found a good match with a therapist. Okay. I'd done therapy before, it's but so I'd never hard to found find a good it. One, isn't yeah, it? I hadn't found it particularly. I hadn't been successful in it, I would say. Mm-hmm. No, I think I did a lot of work on myself, but also aging like is so good for that shit. For most of us, I think. Like I I know I certainly have met plenty a woman who's con- maintained a lot of shame, but I think I've worked really hard to kind of move away from that. Definitely. Um and like I don't know, feminism helps. Definitely. Highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, the guilt thing, the mom guilt is a funny thing. We were talking about having kids just back there. And mm. I always feel like if I had kids, I'd be one of those women who like ran off when they were like three years old, yeah. never to be seen again. Yeah. Or resurfaces, resurfaces when they're like 21 and like, you have to forgive me. Have you seen them? Um, um, have you seen The Lost Daughter? No. It's a film with Olivia Coleman and uh, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse Buckley, the Irish actor. <laughs> and Paul Meskell's in it as well. Oh, okay. As a hot young man. Um, <laughs> shocking. Um, but it's, it kind of is around that scenario. And I think a lot of people were really horrified by the main character who does leave her family. And I really felt a lot of empathy for her. That's a, that feels vulnerable saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's but uncomfortable. But good art does that. It, it makes you empathetic for people who maybe. Yeah, well, like, you have I thought about running away from my family? A hundred percent. My door is always open. Like, a hundred percent. I've thought about what would it be like to like go back to only having to worry about myself. Like, mm-hmm. what would it be like? It's amazing, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I would feel fucking awful, and I wouldn't be able to enjoy myself. So that's yeah, why I'm that's still it. here. Um, but like. <laughs> You know, I think motherhood can be really stifling and crippling and, um, you know, you need support. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality is that, you know, we used to live in a society that was much better at that. And, you know, we really kind of raised kids communally. And like even my, when I think about my mom, so my biological mom was an alcoholic, but I was raised by the road. Do you know what I mean? And I don't mean like I'm from the streets. I mean... (laughs) I mean, like, all the other moms were, were looking out for me, do you yeah. know what I mean? And not just because of my situation, because that was the culture, you know? And now a lot of us don't know our neighbours, are afraid to ask for help, can't afford to live near our family, so, like, we're just socially, whatever the, the structure has changed. So a lot of us, you know, as parents, end up really isolated mm-hmm. um, without support. And, and I think without support, that's when you do end up with people who just feel like, I can't do this anymore. Definitely. This yeah. emphasis on, like, the nuclear family, which only happened in the last, like, 100 years, which really pushed people yeah. to be, like, on their own in these little individual family units. It just makes people so lonely. Yeah. And that's why I will start a commune someday. Yes, I also am all about a commune. It's my dream. Okay. It's my dream. You get your massive audience to join and I'll get these guys. Well, no. (laughs) Like, you have to be picky. Okay, yeah. Can't have just anyone. (laughs) But I honestly, like, I'll I'll never forget, I went over to a friend of mine's, like, you know, a couple of years ago when our kids were smaller. It's a little bit easier now that they're a bit older. But I went over, and the kids were there, and we were sitting on the couch, and we were doing exactly what we would have been doing in our own houses. She said to me, it's just so much easier when there's someone else there, isn't isn't it? And I was like, yes. Like, literally just having another person there is so helpful, yeah. but but it doesn't happen as much as it should. Definitely. Yeah. My closest experience to living in a commune was being in the psychiatric hospital, I feel like. I, um, now, this might be wrong no, to say. No, say it. I know what you're going to say. But say it. I have, I would, You'd I thrive. feel like I'd love a go. You'd love it. I, I just, I really feel like I would. It's gorgeous. Like, loads of my friends have had butterfly. their chance. You'd I'm love just... it. You're so glam. <laughs> People used to, like, wait outside my room to see what I was going to wear for the day. Like, you thrive! But also, like, art therapy. Yeah. Like, someone else managing your meds. Mm-hmm. Like, all of this really appeals to me. <laughs> yeah. 
No, you don't have to make any of the big decisions. Yeah. I well, all of well, this the three of us great. go. Will we go? Will we go back. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I think I, I qualify for a sweep by now. It's been like five times. So I'll get us in there. Um, Obviously said with full respect to the horror of mental illness, by the yeah. way. But if I could just get like a little bit of serious mental illness and, you know hop in for a few weeks oh if you're ever having a nervous breakdown it's the best place to go that yeah. is definitely my advice I've seen yeah. it I've seen what it can do for people yeah and it's very effective yeah and um, what but did, did you like it or no I loved it but then you, the reason you know that you want it that you're getting better is when you want to leave when you right. resent like being taken care of all the time okay being around people all the time and stuff you're like oh I want to go back to my own space and then you're like oh maybe I'm feeling a bit better did you have your own room oh yeah See, I feel like if I had my own room, that would be enough of my own space for me. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe mm. this is speaking volumes about my own mental health. <laughs> <laughs> you got checks every hour. So. That I don't like the same. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. I feel like you're kind of living in a commune right now, though, are you not? Yeah, I have nine housemates. Eight housemates. There's nine of us all together. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's... That's borderline commune. Yeah, but no one talks to me. Oh. No, I'm one checking. Um, they're all really nice. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, the next question I have is perhaps the most important one. Should I take off my SPF before I go to bed? Yes. Is that a thing? Oh my God, I've yes. been meaning to ask someone this for ages who knows. No, a million percent. What does it do if you leave it on? It'll, like, it'll really clog up your pores. Yeah, you don't want it. Your skin is amazing. You want to keep it like that. 100%. But I never take off my SPF. So. It's one of the main reasons we double cleanse is to get rid of that SPF. What's double cleansing? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So I'm only 25. Go back to the very <laughs> beginning. We double cleanse. So double cleanse is when you wash your face twice, basically. Okay. So I think an oil or a balm is ideal for your first cleanse. It'll get rid of and break down all of your makeup and your SPF. Okay. So that's like about removing what's there. And then you use like a cleanser. Like it might be like a foaming, whatever, like whatever you're into yourself. CeraVe have really good ones um, and they're not expensive. And that will actually get into your skin. Do you know what I mean? Anything that's like building up, it'll get in and get okay. rid of. And then your face will be properly clean and then also if you are not taking off your SPF your face isn't taking in anything else you're putting on it okay. so if you're not cleaning your face properly and then you're putting on like a vitamin C serum or whatever you might as well not bother because it's not going to get in because you've got a barrier okay so if your face is properly clean it'll okay that's that's an official term up all that all that skincare mm -hmm. okay rate my skincare Layla, routine start. yes go. Um, give it to me I use some micellar water then I use a toner, then I do a little bit of serum, then um, a moisturizer. What's, it, what's in your serum? Anything, I have about a hundred <laughs> of them. And a moisturizer, and then during the day, what do you, that's at, at night? No, that's in the day. And, and where's your SPF? In the moisturizer. Okay, and then what are you doing at nighttime? Nothing. I only do my skincare routine at nighttime if I haven't gone out all day. Okay. I'm like... So, okay. fine. What out of 10? Everything you have. No, I no, you're at like a seven, I'd okay. say. Okay, okay. Because everything you're doing is right. You just need to wash your face. Like really wash my face? Yeah. Yeah. In the bathroom? Yeah. No, that's never going to happen. Hang I'm on. sorry. Hang on. The effort of that. Yes. I have depression. Yeah, at least, at least once a day be properly washing your face. My recommendation is get yourself at least a good CeraVe cleanser, and buy yourself. Are you sponsored? No, <laughs> but they're just, it's just cheap and good. Yeah, fair. Um, and buy yourself like seven um, face cloths, mm -hmm. right? And you can get them for one euro in pennies or in Sastrena Grinna to oh. a great line in oh. face cloths. And um, use one for like, don't use it more than two or three days and then put it in the wash. And that means you don't have to do any splashy water. You wet your hands, you rub your cleanser on your face, and then you hot water in your, I like it really hot, it's up to you, in your face cloth. And then you can rub, you don't have any drippy drip, like none of that messing, and it feels amazing. Like, and then your skin is so clean, it's going to take in all those delicious skincare products, and you're actually going to get the benefit of them. Okay. Please wash your face. I'll think about it for you, Louise. 
if it's anyone could get me benefit. to. Um, okay, so that is the interview, really, unless you have anything else you want to ask me. No, just thank no. you for having me. It's been a delight. Well, we're not I've done yet. I've loved watching you blossom over the that years. That is a thing. I was one of your pets, I must say. Oh, yeah. But you, you brought me on your podcast a long time ago. And yeah. that was, I mean, not that long. I haven't been around that long. Um, <laughs> but No, but you were was, a child, basically, <laughs> at the time. But um, yeah, no, that that was, and you've always been very supportive. Well, thank you. But I think, nice. you know, the thing, the beauty of, of now, 2023, is that you can create your own opportunities and you don't need to wait for someone to open the door for you or give you a chance, which my whole career is basically made up of me yeah. creating things for myself now. Mm -hmm. And you're doing the same. And it's great to see that because you got it a lot younger than I did. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we're going to do, depending if you guys have questions, we're going to do a Q&A. Does anyone have a question? Thanks. Uh, does anyone have a question for myself or Louise? I see a hand. So we'll have to share a mic and... Do you want to just I feel like we can we'll be able to hear it now. Oh, okay, so over the podcast, sorry. I forgot about Hello. that. <laughs> uh, two questions. Uh, Christine, yes. Uh, two sitting ducks. <laughs> uh, one, uh, your top three revelations from the RTE <laughs> scandal. <laughs> Where... <laughs> And then um, Kyle Richards. Okay. <laughs> For both. <laughs> um, okay, just listen to the episode tomorrow, babe. Uh, my podcast. Um, okay, Orti, this is a tricky one for me because I have so many thoughts and feelings about it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer this in the way that you want me to. Um, for me, I think the, I mean, just the original OG, like secretly paying Ryan Tuberty and hiding it on purpose is appalling. Like, I think everyone agrees with that on that. Like, even people in management and RTE who weren't involved are appalled by that. Like, it's disgusting. Um, I think I don't have such a problem with the, like, commercial stuff. Like, I think people are really head up about, like, for example, the Soho House membership. I don't have any issue with that. Like, Soho House is where media companies have meetings. Like, if you want to play the game in London, it makes sense that you would have a membership there. It's two grand in the grand scheme of things. It's not much. The five grand on Javianas I really struggle with. <laughs> Like, sorry, bitch, but like all of us are, if we're buying flip-flops for an event, we know where we're going and it's pennies. Like, why are we spending 35 quid? But then Esther O'More Donahue, who's on my podcast regularly, said to me today, well, the one year pennies are going in the bin. 35 year old, the 35 year old Javianas might be kept, so maybe it was an environmental decision. I'm going to say it wasn't. <laughs> so I found that pretty shocking. Um, I... I, this isn't a shock. I, I really feel for Marty Morrissey, I have to say. <laughs> like, the, oh, there was this whole thing in the committee yesterday about someone someone had a lend of a car for five years uh, without, <laughs> without disclosing, and it was Marty Morrissey. He released a statement today. It's, yeah, I'm not revealing any secrets. But, like, the thing for me with the car stuff, I think the car stuff has gotten really mixed up with everything. There's this, like, misperception, misconception, that's not a word. Um, there's this misconception that, like, Orti are secretly giving people cars to kind of bump up their earnings. And that's not what's happening. What's happening is car companies see people with profile and they say, it looks good for us if they're driving my car. Like, it's really no skin off anybody's nose. I don't really understand why people have gotten so obsessed. For your car. See, I, I have at times had a free car. I will admit that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think I really answered your question. I think what, what's clear to me is that there's a real issue with RTE being both a public and a commercial entity. Those two things are not working together. People don't really understand that either. I don't think that, you know, the commercial side of the business has to act like a commercial entity, which does mean taking clients to dinners and gigs and all the rest. Um, you know, but it's very infuriating, I think, for people who are working really hard, who don't have the resources that they need. Um, like, I wrote about this in The Independent. Like, when I was doing... A show at one stage I on my own was producing didn't have any team at all literally me myself was producing 10 hours of radio a week now it was music radio so not as challenging as talk radio but Ryan Toberty was doing five and he had a team of seven when you have those kind of imbalances and you're working your, your arse off and you can't even get the right equipment or you can't even get a crew and then you hear about the kind of spending that's been happening it's hard to stomach 
that was like such a long and stupid answer, sorry. Kyle Richards, I really lost the run of myself there the other day with it all now. Um, for people who don't know, Kyle Richards is a real housewife of Beverly Hills. She's an OG housewife. She, I love her. I actually met, met and interviewed her last summer. Um, she has, I think, the longest marriage of any housewife, 27 years with Mauricio, who everybody loves because he's really hot and charming. And like for a lot of people, I think it was like, I, I believe in love because of Kyle and Mauricio. <laughs> and then these rumors started surfacing that Kyle had become very close with this country singer called Morgan Wade, a, a woman. Um, and there was a lot of speculation about what was going on there because they were social mediaing a lot. There's a question of tattoos, matching tattoos, all the rest. I really, I really, really lost the run of myself with all that, and I'm kind of ashamed, um, because we should not speculate on other people's sexualities, obviously. Um, but then, basically, it was like there was a report that they were getting divorced, and everybody was like, what? And then they came out and said, no, we're not getting divorced, but we have had a really difficult year, and our marriage isn't in a great place. So I don't know, someone suggested that Morgan could be like a sponsor for Kyle because Kyle stopped drinking seven months ago and Morgan is sober. So probably there's some like really normal explanation for that. Not that it would be abnormal if they were together romantically. It would be so exciting. <laughs> <sighs> but, um, but anyway, yeah, look, we just have to wait and see. We have to wait and see. I hope that they're, I want, all I want is for Kyle and Mauricio to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever shape that takes, that's all I want. <laughs> what about a thruple? I mean, fine, once again, I just want them to be happy. If that's what brings them happiness, then they should absolutely go for it. I want everyone, fuck whoever you want, do what makes you happy, as long as it's consensual and the people are of age. Um, you briefly touched on your mother suffering from alcohol use disorder, and perfectly fine if you're not comfortable discussing it, but I was wondering if you think that had any influence on you kind of going into your adolescent and adult life, your kind of attitude towards substances, that had any effect? What did you think about that? Um, yeah, I think that's a good question. I've never heard of alcohol use disorder. That's interesting. I'll have to go away and Google that now. Um, it definitely made me more careful. Like, I was kind of in a weird position anyway because I lived in America from the age of seven until I was 16. So we moved to England for one year before moving back to Ireland. And I had literally never touched a drop of booze when we arrived in England. And then even in England, my friends were quite innocent. Like we, we didn't really like, I think we, I was always looked older than everybody else. So 16. So I went and bought like a bottle of martini, which is barely booze at all. And we drank it and thought we were mad. And like, I think maybe another time we had peach schnapps or whatever. But I always kind of in the back of my head was like, how's this gonna go for me? Like, am I gonna be okay? Am I not gonna be okay? Um, but then I arrived in Ireland and obviously started drinking more because that's what happens. And I was 17 at that stage, nearly. Um, and kind of bit by bit as time went on, I, I just knew myself that that wasn't something that I was gonna be experiencing. Um, I mean, I don't know, look, I think it probably can happen to anyone, but I don't think I have that innate thing that some people have. So then obviously I went hell for leather and just did whatever I wanted and uh, still here to, to tell the tale, thankfully. But I think like, look, it's luck, it's luck of the draw, you know? Like I have lots of friends and family members who have experienced addiction in one, one way or another. And, you know, really, I have seen people really struggle to grapple with the unfairness of it. Like that, why can, why can you drink and I can't? Like, why can you have two drinks and go home and go to bed and I can't? It's not fair. Um, and I'm, I just feel lucky really that I can because I do enjoy it. Yeah. 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 I was going to say healthily, but like obviously no one drinks healthily, but like, no, no. You know, to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no one has a question for me. <laughs> no. Okay. Well. <laughs> uh, that's the end of this. <laughs> do you actually have one? Okay, go on. Um, what did you learn during the podcast? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I just, I've, we were talking about this. I like, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would be. Um, it's really nice. I also learned that like people are actually a lot more vulnerable with me than I expected them to be. Um, 
And that's it, really. Um, yeah, like I did a podcast when I was young and I hated it um, um, because I was doing all the work. And now I've hired Niall, who um, does all the work and I just show him the face. So um, it's, it's much, much better. Yeah, but thanks for, the, thanks for asking me a question. I, I feel good now. Um, thank you so, so much, Louise. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to do the rest of my thank yous very quick. Thank you to my gorgeous producer. Oh, look at him back there. Um, Niall Duggan. Thank you to DJ Succulent for my music. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here. Um, thank you to the Bernard Shaw for being the new home of the podcast. Really appreciate being here. And thank you so much to everyone who came and bought tickets. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Um, and thank you so much. Honestly, can't thank you enough. And yeah, thanks. <laughs>